guardian angels and patron saints. Pray for us. The beauty of this feast day, which we invoke as our particular title and, and celebration, the solemnity of Christ the King here at Christ the King Parish, is a reason for us to celebrate and rejoice to be together and to honor God and to seek to become more loyal and more faithful servants of his kingdom. To this end, I, I have been praying for some months, asking, inquiring among various sources about the possibility of acquiring a first-class relic of Father Miguel Prill, a priest that I've spoken about many times in homilies here, someone that has fascinated me and captured my imagination, and I believe under, uh, under his patronage will be able to grow precisely in that loyalty and in that faithfulness to the kingdom, because he himself was a very faithful servant, a servant of Christ the King. He died with those words on his lips, Viva Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. And a famous photograph, which has been reproduced and uh, is in fact depicted, uh, a portrait of him is depicted at the entrance of our school, of him with his arms outstretched, he's standing in that moment in front of a firing squad. It's moments before he's, he's killed. The first martyrdom in history to be photographed. And because of those photographs, the unjust and atheistic rulers of Mexico at that time, just, over, just under 100 years ago, uh, eventually were deposed because of the furor over the killing of this saintly priest, this hero who was working underground under conditions of persecution to bring the sacraments to the people of Mexico during a time when they were outlawed. It's a part of history that we don't talk about much. Indeed, I've, I've learned that uh, even the Mexican people don't often receive this part of their, this, their own history. It's something that's frequently suppressed in the history books because it frankly looks, makes the government look very bad. Uh, and so it doesn't show up in much of the history books of Mexican education, but it's an important factor for us to take into account and to recall. So we've, pl we've placed this here as a chance for you all to venerate and to, to honor Miguel Pro. This is part of our Catholic tradition to, um, to venerate the relics of the martyrs and the saints. Every altar contains a relic of a saint. This particular relic will be placed here in our church for permanent veneration. By the, by the faithful. We'll place it here uh, next to the baptismal font, and I think eventually I would love to create a reliquary just for it at that back um, little alcove where the statues of St. Pius and St. Therese are uh, for, for veneration by you all. But the idea is Father Pro is not yet a canonized saint. He is beatified, but not canonized. There are stages in the progress, in the process of becoming a canonized saint. First is your cause is opened, and then after certain miracles have been attested through your intercession, which the Vatican investigates, you're advanced to the status of a beatified saint, but not until you have been responsible for two miracles are you officially canonized by the church. Father Pro is still at the stage of being beatified, and so I have somewhat of a selfish motive in bringing his relics here, because I think we need a miracle for his canonization. 
we can begin to pray for his intercession, pray for his canonization through being granted a miracle associated with praying for his, for his prayers. So I hope that that will spur you. What is, what is some need that's beyond your power? Some healing, right? Some situation in which you find yourself um, burdened or unable to extricate yourself and entrust it to his prayers. And I, I, it's my hope, I have, I have every confidence because God is real, miracles are real, that good things will happen as a result of this for us. So I hope you will turn to Father Pro and ask for his intercession as we uh, receive this relic here formally. Father Pro was a heroic figure. I won't go into great details. I hope you learn more about him, read about him and his life. He was born in Mexico, ordained a Jesuit priest during a time when, as I said, it became against the law to practice Catholicism. Churches were emptied out and desecrated. Uh, People were chased down and arrested for receiving the sacraments, and priests were arrested and killed for providing the sacraments. Father Pro went to Belgium to receive his seminary education and then returned to Mexico under those conditions to serve as a priest knowing full well what was, what was in store for him. And for two years, he successfully worked underground, in secret, heroically avoiding the pursuit of the police and the federales who were, who were on his tail. He was FBI most wanted list, for sure. And through disguises in which he would dress up as a businessman or a, a, a miner or a plumber, he would even at times dress up as a policeman, He evaded their capture, often by the skin of his teeth, and continued the work uh, that he knew was was going to bring him great suffering. He was a patron of those who are ill because he suffered from a stomach ailment for most of his adult life, brief as it was, uh, suffering terrible pain, but always doing so in cheerfulness. He was known for being the saint of good humor, cracking jokes, practical jokes, playing music, lifting the spirits of everyone around him, even though he carried a great suffering. In the end, I I don't know what Father Pro has in store for us through his prayers, but I can't imagine why we wouldn't want another patron interceding and encouraging us from on high. God's will be done through the intercession of Our Lady of Guadalupe. May May he be canonized, whether or not it's through a miracle that our people receive. Today, this Feast of Christ the King recognizes the importance of declaring Christ as a king, not just for us individually, but also in public. That the reign of Christ is not just a private matter. Though it is something very personal to each of us, it also is meant to extend and radiate outwards into the world. However, it's easy for us to mix up the order of that. Christ begins by ruling over us each as an individual. It is our obedience to his will that we acquire what is necessary to become the light and the salt that sanctifies our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our city, our country, and our church. It begins here, right here, in my own life. And this, saint, this uh, feast day was declared a feast 
just around the same time as Father Prode died, was martyred in the 1920s. Pius IX wrote an encyclical declaring that this Sunday would be celebrating the, the solemnity of Christ as king, precisely to protect in our minds and in the minds of the whole world that Christianity is not just a private club, it's not just a group of people who happen to want to be nice to one another and to others, but in fact is meant to transform the face of the earth into a civilization of love. This is all too clear uh, as necessary in our own day and age, right? We're constantly made aware, more and more intensely all the time, about the opposite of a civilization of love. We live and see constantly the effects of a culture of death all around us, whether that's in the indifference to the poor, the unjust social systems that deny freedom and dignity to people, or in the most heinous ways that human dignity and life is threatened and taken by the powerful. Whatever the, whatever the reason, we see it everywhere. There's constant examples of it. But that shouldn't cause us to despair or grow discouraged. It should cause us to intensify our own loyalty and devotion, to dig deeper into our relationship with our king. Pope Pius IX in his encyclical wrote these words about Christ the King. He must reign in our minds, which should assent with perfect submission and firm belief to revealed truths and to the doctrines of Christ. Christ the King must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn our natural desires and love God above all things and cleave to him alone. Christ the King must reign in our bodies and in our members, which should serve as instruments for the interior sanctification of our souls, as instruments of justice and righteousness for God. Minds, wills, hearts, bodies. This is where Christ's reign is lived out. By my assent to the truth and my sincere and earnest desire to avoid error of every kind, whether religious or reasonable. That I constantly consult what is the law and the will of God in a particular matter so that I might conform my will to it rather than interpret it to suit my will? My heart and my attachments, my desires, do I see myself as possessing all riches when I am handed over to the Lord or do I see God as just one good among many? And my body, my physical body, as an instrument of the sanctification of my soul and of the accomplishment of righteousness. How many of us see our physical being as precisely that? That my hands, my face, my, my words, my speech, and my tongue, that these are capable of sanctifying my soul when I use them according to God's will. And to the contrary, when I place them at the service of my own will, how they tear down and undermine the kingdom that Christ came to establish. It begins with us, our own transformation in Christ. 
Our witness starts there. We will never be fruitful in being a light and salt to others if we are not ourselves striving every day to be more and more faithful, repent of our failures, and begin again. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. We do have a responsibility as Catholic Christians to proclaim the revealed truth of God and of his holy law, which creates a civilization and a society of love if we obey it. And we have a responsibility to draw others into obedience to that law. And we have a responsibility to transform our society, to create just laws that protect human dignity according to the truth of who we are in God. Now, that's not just a, a particular preference that we have, though many will accuse us of simply imposing our own preferences on others. We understand that very differently. This isn't something we've created on our own. We've made up and planned to impose on the wider world. It's something that's been given to us, revealed. Throughout the world, of course, we can look to situations where the freedom to live out this identity as a Catholic Christian is severely oppressed. Despite maybe the justifiable concerns that we have about here in the United States and the incursions of the, of the wider world on our freedom to live out our faith, bizarre and sometimes sort of provocative ways, pales in comparison to the places around the world where Christians suffer and die on a daily basis out of faithfulness to Jesus. The most recent example that I became aware of is, is that in the country of Nigeria, a significant portion of the population is Catholic, but a, another portion of the population is Muslim. And the number of Catholics who are dying due to terroristic bombings and shootings in that country at the hands of Muslims has risen to the level of a genocide. A genocide. We don't hear about these things in the media because they're not a priority for our culture. That's one example of many. We can talk about other situations where even people who don't share our faith are being persecuted unjustly. We can, we can also protest on behalf of the Uyghur Muslims who are being uh, herded into concentration camps and suffering a genocide at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, right? These things are happening all the time, and it's our responsibility to pray for their end, to pray for a just society that recognizes human freedom and human dignity. The truth is, though, it's messy work. The reign of Christ here on earth, as we labor to bring it about, is a messy and difficult place. That's because its origin was messy and difficult. Christ reigns from the cross as king. That's what those, those letters above his head say. I-N-R-I. What does that stand for? Can anyone tell me? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum. That's what Jesus' kingship looks like. It's messy. It's hidden. It involves suffering. But it is fruitful 
in infinitely great ways. Recently, uh, I had a chance to go take a couple of days in the woods of Arkansas with the two seminarians on pastoral internship with us here, Dan Morrow and Will Carey, both of whom are serving here in the sanctuary. And when I go on trips like that, we go backpacking and fishing, and I always carry a, a mass kit with me. When I, when I leave for those periods of time, I don't, I don't go on vacation from mass. I'm still a priest when I'm away. I'm taking a vacation from uh, checking emails and uh, signing things. That's what I'm taking a vacation from. But I'm not, I'm not a vacationing, uh, vacationing from my vocation. So we offer mass every day on the trail. And the last night of the trip, after offering mass, usually grabbing rocks out of the stream bed and building kind of a makeshift altar and setting my, my camp seat on top of it, precarious and kind of the whole time just sort of struggling to keep it vertical. I was in a campsite where we didn't have access to those, to those rocks. There were just plenty of trees standing around, but no rocks that would be suitable for our, for our altar. And this inspiration came to me. I've been going into the woods for 20 years on these trips, these backpacking trips. You know, I've probably spent 100 days uh, in the last 10 years carrying a backpack in the, in the mountains. But this is the first time I ever had this inspiration. I have this camp chair that I've carried with me all these years. It's uh, just an L-shaped camp chair with a little a binding on the side to kind of cradle you as you sit on the ground. It kind of keeps you upright. Uh, it's a very comfortable chair that I would fold it closed and use it as a platform for my altar. But it has a little handle on it and I noticed just for the first time that if I were to hang that from a tree, the seat would sort of drop down and it would form a perfect altar at just the right height. It was like a thunderbolt. This is perfect. I've never had such a great setup for offering mass in the woods before. I was elated. It was finally at the right height, because usually I'm always down here trying to fuss with these rocks that are at the height of my knees and just not an ideal setup. But this felt like perfection. To my disappointment, my insight was immediately surpassed by one of our seminarians who pointed out after the Mass that we prayed how appropriate it was. And he quoted, I think, a Latin phrase, Reniavit alinio Deus. Christ reigns from the tree. That the Mass where the King is present under the form of bread and wine, but his body his blood, his soul, and his divine nature made present, hanging from a tree, connects us to the very source of our salvation. It struck me and will stay with me. I conceded him the, the better insight of the trip, <laughs> as happy as I was about my, my camp chair altar. This is the heart of our faith and the heart of the kingdom of God, that like that good thief who was caught up into the messiness of Jesus' suffering and death, he, in an act of total trust and in a, a, a marvelous act of humility, proclaimed him king, saw him as a king, right where he was suffering the most himself, hanging himself from a cross, and capital punishment for his crimes, he, in a moment of clarity, saw the truth, and mercy flowed to him. This day you will be with me in paradise. So too, 
in the midst of our own messy struggles to be faithful to our King, mercy flows to us. And as we cry out today, Jesus, remember us when you come into your kingdom. May he respond to us in just the same way one day as we stand before him enthroned. This day, you will be with me in paradise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.